Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market M&A in Private Equity. I'm your host, Mario Negro, a partner in the Private Equity M&A Group at Stegman Elliott. And um, happy day to have our special guest, Glenn Silvestri, who is the uh, managing partner and uh, co-founder of Sage Capital Partners here in Toronto, uh, who's joining us uh, to talk about, about the marketplace and what he's been up to and what he's seeing. Glenn, I uh, thank you for joining us. Welcome to uh, the 15-minute update. Uh, great to have you here. I thought we would start by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself, about the fund, about what you're what you're doing in the marketplace, and I would love to know more. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so uh, I started my career as a, a chartered accountant, uh, ended up very quickly uh, going into private equity with the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, where I got into technology and media. Uh, Kind of wanted to do something a little bit more entrepreneurial after having been a teacher for over 13 years and decided that it was time to figure that out uh, on my own and uh, joined a mid-market fund here in Toronto, um, stayed there for five years and then made the leap to kind of starting my own fund with my partner, John. Uh, and we realized very quickly there was a bit of a gap in the marketplace as far as uh, two things. One is on the small end of the equity scale. Uh, there wasn't many people looking to do very many small checks. And number two, certainly on the search fund side, uh, we had been following that market at the behest of our mutual friend, Mario Negro, who kept telling us this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, and so we followed it for a while. We invested in it personally, and we decided that it certainly warranted more of our attention. And so we, uh, back in 2019, decided to take the plunge and raise a fund to support search funds. So uh, John and I uh, basically funded the uh, the entity on our own. We started doing a couple of deals and we also uh, invested in a couple of searchers. And approximately a year later, we had raised a, about a $40 million fund to support the rest of the activity that we were seeing in the area. So fast forward to today and we're sitting on kind of five investments and we have about 10 searchers that we've supported in the Canadian market. Uh, all of the companies are doing actually very well. I had a budget uh, in pretty much every facet and the, the searchers uh, for the most part are actually doing very well as well. I think uh, out of our 10 searchers right now, four of them are sitting with a uh, uh, late stage LOI. So all in all, it's been a pretty good uh, success since starting back in 2019. And and Glenn, what would be the sweet spot for you when you look at Sage Capital? What 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 are you focused on? What is your uh, we just use the word sweet spot, whatever you want to call it. Your uh, where, where you want to play, what you're looking for. Yeah, so our our, uh, our sweet spot would be a company with probably somewhere between five and ten million dollars of enterprise value, where we could invest somewhere between one and a half and three million dollars of equity. Ideally, our equity check would be kind of two to two and a half is kind of our sweet spot. We're looking for companies with uh, a uh, some type of angle where uh, there's a founder who is retiring. So succession planning is what we like to call our investing plan. So, you know, you have a founder who's built a nice business, probably has a really good uh, platform or brand name or product that he or she has built. Um, but it spent maybe the last three or four years kind of taking cash out of the business and not so much focusing on growth. So the ability to take the brand or the product or the service and say, hey, we think with some energized management 
and some push from a governance perspective and a, a bunch of extra money and growth. So rather than a founder, you know, taking out a million dollars a year in salary, uh, we would rather put in a searcher who takes out 150 or 200,000 a year and put the rest of the money into growth and kind of try and take that one to $3 million of EBITDA and ideally get it to four or five of EBITDA over the course of a few years. And then it becomes a platform for the larger private equity guys. Um, certainly we've seen the, the multiples increase once you get into that upper zone of four or 5 million. So our goal is to be able to kind of buy at the lower end of the market and sell into the middle end of the market. You know, one of the things we noticed Glenn in our marketplace is that the, the kind of lower middle market or, or the lower end of the middle market is kind of, uh, kind of hides, hides, uh, beneath the radar, you know, and it, it, it ironically, the stats show that, that from a deal volume point of view, it, it is probably the place where most deals happen in Canada, just given the nature of our marketplace by sheer volume, but practically it doesn't get some of the attention that, uh, you know, the middle market or the upper middle market gets. Now you, you have a very interesting background. You've, you've kind of worked across the marketplace, large P fund, middle middle market Canadian P fund now kind of lower end P fund. What, what do you think makes this space unique, attractive? What, what, why, why here? Why now for you? Uh, you're, you're obviously now all in on the kind of lower to lower end of the middle market and wanted to get your perspective on what, what you see is unique about the space and why you find it attractive. Yeah. So you're referring to the uh, ski slope nature of, uh, of, of my path in private equity, starting with the largest deals in the world and going down to the smallest. Um, you finally, but, you finally come to the promised land. It took you long enough, Glenn. Yeah, We're happy like, you're here, though. I love the bottom end. It's the best <laughs> place to be. Uh, what, what, what is, what's great about that lower market is a couple of things. One is, if you look at the upper end of the market, I mean, really, what you're playing in is is a leverage market with uh, great management teams and and good assets, and you're just kind of hoping that the products you pick will grow at five or 7% and you can get the maximum amount of leverage and then you can exit at, you know, at or above the multiple you paid. There's, there's not really a ton that you can do with uh, an asset that's uh, doing a hundred million dollars of EBITDA to really shift it. It's an air, it's, it's an aircraft carrier. When I look at the companies we have, they're kind of riding a CDU, right? If you want to turn, you can turn and you can turn rather quickly. I, I look at Voxco that we bought, uh, you know, a company sitting on 10 million of revenue and a million and change of EBITDA. And very quickly, we invested money to turn it into a, you know, a, a typical license and maintenance software business into a SaaS business. And we plowed money into putting in additional resources behind development of technology that would help our clients further understand the customers and their experience. And that's the kind of thing that's really difficult once you start to get too big. I mean, you can always make dents and continue to grow, but in these uh, instances that we're looking at, you can very, very quickly see the results in, in the transactions uh, that you make. So another example would be home turf where, you know, we increased the, the level of marketing and bought a couple of books of business uh, around the lawn care industry. And the results were dramatic. I mean, our, our pickup from, Q1 versus last year was up about 25% in customers depositing new money in order to get their lawns done for the spring and summer season. So you, you see those results very quickly. Uh, you're able to make big differences because you have such small scale operations. 
Now, on the flip side, obviously, it's it, the reason this market isn't uh, got a lot of private equity is because you're turning $2 million checks into $10 million checks. And while that's a pretty great return, it's a lot of work to turn $2 million into $10 million, And on the face of it, it's, it's not that much extra capital. But when you're doing it and, and you're seeing it each day and you're investing a lot of your own money, uh, the fun that you get and, and, and obviously the wealth that you can create uh, both make it uh, a really, really, really worthwhile exercise. And for us, John and I, having learned uh, both middle and, and uh, middle, middle and large private equity and going into the lower end of the private equity, our skill set was just really transferable. I mean, the governance you can set with these companies, the things that you've learned of how big companies made themselves successful and bringing that down to small companies and really actually being able to mentor that CEO has been dramatic for us. I mean, it's it's something that I, I didn't think was possible uh, in private equity because typically you're dealing with a CEO that really has, frankly, almost as much, if not more experience than you out in the marketplace. And other than financing, you're not really bringing a lot of uh, expertise to the table. You may have seen a lot of more deals, but that person operationally uh, has a lot more experience than you. When you get into these small businesses, um, your ideas are actually big ideas to these companies and your ability to invest an extra two or $300,000 is a lot of money to these businesses. So uh, aside from the ability to actually make the businesses bigger, better and exit, the, uh, the experience of having fun with these businesses is something that can't be matched. You know, Glenn, you hit on a good point. You know, we, we traditionally have seen uh, a uh, not a lot of capital uh, uh, focused on the lower middle market. And ironically, even though that's where, uh, you know, in terms of the number of opportunities for deals, it's, it's you know, our marketplace, the largest concentration of, of companies is in the lower middle market. And, you know, and I know even Sage itself is, you know, probably out there as one of the few uh, who's focused on the space, um, you know, is your sense that this is a space that will get more attention over time? Where, where do you think this space is going? I mean, obviously, Sage itself is an indicator of the success of the space. But do you believe that this space, um, you know, do you believe from the evolution of the space that we're going to see more activity based, based on what you've encountered over the last couple of years? I think people will continue to come into the market. The, the issue with private equity funds and institutional equity really is that as they get bigger, they want to invest more money and uh, private equity funds are, are no different as they invest money and become more successful. They want to get bigger because the fees are bigger and the carry is bigger. Um, and so that's always been the, the issue with small market investing. I mean, people start saying, yeah, I'm very comfortable writing two or $3 million of equity, but they very quickly realize that that's just as much work as writing five or 6 million of equity. And then it slowly becomes 10 million of equity. So if, you know, if you look back in history in Canada, you know, the Torquests of the world were a very small fund that would have invested in the, the lower end of the market. And now they've got billion dollar plus funds. Um, you know, I don't foresee us uh, being there because I think we enjoy what we do, number one. And number two is we've found a niche that I think works really well for us. And so the joy of, of going to work every day has gone up exponentially for both John and me. Um, but back to your question, yeah, I, I do think we're going to see some more people coming into the market. The question is whether they stay. Uh, and like I said, it all becomes a fee and carry game. And so if, if you have no problem taking home a really – 
you know, relatively small amount of money from a management fee and looking forward to the carry, but enjoying everything of what you do with entrepreneurs. I think you can stay in that small end of the market, but uh, a lot of people want to grow their business to the point where it's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in this space, especially the search space doesn't lend itself very well to a fund of that size. We've noticed that you've kind of hit on it, Glenn, you obviously that the yourself and the fund have been active over the last year, year and a half. It's appears to me, at least I've seen it from my practice that, you know, that COVID really hasn't, um, I mean, it, it probably now hasn't really slowed down deal flow generally, but particularly in the lower middle market, we've seen uh, deal flow really been uh, strong. And I wanted to get your sense both uh, if you noticed that at Sage, because uh, I know you've done a few deals over the last 12 months, but um, also from, from that perspective, why you think that uh, deal flow has been, has been strong. Um, and, and, you know, what do you, what do you think is behind the, the you know, the continued uh, strong pace of, of deal flow, even with all, all the you know, pandemic around us? Well, I, I certainly think deal flow has been strong. I think there's uh, a couple of, issues that have uh, exacerbated the deal flow. Uh, number one being the pandemic itself. I think a lot of people, including us, didn't really know what to make of the of the deal flow uh, at or deals at that time. You know, were things just going to completely fall apart? Was this a long term issue? Uh, banks were not lending uh, for a couple of months. So they were watching and and learning as to what this pandemic was going to do to operations and consumer spending. And so I think that was kind of problem number one. I think what what came out of that is is a, a bit of a, you know, a lull. And, and so you've got a, a mountain of, of businesses that wanted to come out of that and still sell. And so you saw that coming out of the pandemic and increase the amount of deal volume for sure. I think the second thing that we've certainly seen and, and chatted about with entrepreneurs is that uh, they've gone through a lot. I mean, if you look at uh, a typical entrepreneur who's been in a business for 30 years, he or she has seen, you know, the crash of 99, 2000, the tech correction. Then they saw 07, 08, you know, the crash of the uh, of Lehman and, and the mortgage crisis. And now they're seeing this pandemic happen. I mean, that's, you know, three black swan events in 20 years. Uh, that's probably enough if you're an entrepreneur. And if your business is kind of still doing well and you've you've gotten your way through this your business is probably worth more than it was pre-pandemic because you've you've certainly got something that's resilient and so is it the uh i've had enough syndrome right i've, I've been through this i've been doing it for 30 years i'm now 62 years old i was going to hang on and now's just the not the time to uh to hang on again so they're willing to sell so i think we're seeing some of that and i wouldn't call it giving up for sure because i think the multiples are even higher than they were pre-covid but certainly I would call it people who've said, you know, I don't want to go through another one of these black swan events because they are taxing on your life. Uh, it's very hard to manage a company uh, when cash flow starts to become constrained and you've got to think about your employees and who stays and who goes. So I think that second part of it is certainly uh, what's weighing on some of the entrepreneurs and letting them think about selling their company. And, you know, Glenn, with the increased deal volume, I and mean, one of the unique features of the lower middle market has traditionally been um, the opportunity to buy kind of good companies at, uh, you know, lower multiples than uh, some other sectors of the marketplace, a little less competition, uh, to your point, not as many funds, not as many many buyers, not as many players. 
Um, do, you, do you think that's still the case, even though we're seeing an increased activity, increased interest in the space? I mean, are you finding, um, I mean, the rest of the market has seen this skyrocketing uh, in multiples. Are you starting to notice it or have you noticed anything like that in the lower middle market? Are you seeing sellers demand more, you know, deal advisors pushing harder? What, what's your sense of deal multiples in the lower middle market um, when it comes to the opportunities you're looking at? Yeah, I, th I think they've certainly moved. I mean, uh, in two, two, sorry, 2019, excuse me, we, we saw regular multiples for decent service-based companies at, you know, three to five times in the one to two and a half million dollars of EBITDA. That was normal. And you'd see a decent VTB take back on that. Uh, now you're probably seeing those be more like uh, four to six times. Uh, where you're really seeing a uh, pickup in multiples is on the technology side. Uh, I think uh, the pandemic has shown people that technology certainly, uh, first of all, works. And second of all, uh, it's leverageable. So you can get large very quickly. And so technology-based businesses, be they software or tech-enabled businesses, things that allow us to stay home and still work and still grow, I point towards something like Crowd Content or Voxco, which we own. Uh, those businesses have had a, a progressive tick up in value um, because people see them as uh, still having a lot of legs for growth, uh, taking over more traditional businesses. So, you know, the, the pen and paper of getting customer experience versus the online of getting a customer experience feedback form is very, very different. One is more scalable, one's more leverageable, one you can actually interpret with a computer. Uh, the other one just takes a lot of work, frankly. So... Uh, I think those businesses will continue to pick up in price. But what you also seen, which is the uh, corollary to things like this and events like this is you have people out there with technology businesses that are, you know, what I'll call really simple. Uh, they don't have much of a moat around them. And a lot of those people still want very high multiples for those businesses. And those are the businesses that aren't selling. Um, those owners still have businesses that are valuable businesses that you could do something with, but they look at the marketplace and they try to paint it with one brush and say, oh, well, my business is worth five times recurring revenue when in fact their revenue isn't really recurring and they don't really have a moat around their business to be able to say, hey, I deserve a premium valuation. So I think that's a little bit of what's happened certainly on the tech side, but back to your original question. Yeah, there's been a bit of inflation in multiples for sure. Glenn, I want to thank you. This has been super uh, insightful and, and appreciate you joining us. Glenn Silvestri, uh, co-founder, managing director of Sage Capital Partners. Glenn, thank you again for joining us for our podcast today. Thank you, Mario. Appreciate it. Have a great day.